clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Anyway, guys, welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. I'm down here with Peter Miller from the original Get Lit team. What did you start that team in, what, 1989? And that was your original? That was my original name. I was uh, down in Costa Rica, and one of the mates said, oh, the selfish is lit up. He's getting lit. He's lit. Whatever. And I was like, hmm, I think I'm going to name my first boat Get Lit. But the first time I tried calling it on the radio, I said, this is uh, Get Lit, calling whatever boat. Someone said, what? Who? And I said, I don't know if this thing's going to stick, but I'm going to try it. And here we are. How many years later? 30 30 years later. Let's just call it three championships later. Three World Selfish Championships later. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Peter started Get Lit in um, in the 80s. Um, He's also a Miami University grad. Originally from upstate New York, or was it coastal New York? No, you got it. Upstate New York, but not too far, about 30 minutes north of Manhattan, a place called Tapan, New York. So he come down from New York, went to the U, and then uh, got totally salty. Um, three-time world sailfish champion. That's correct. It's, uh, I still can't believe it. When you say it, you're like, you know, wow, how did we do, how did we do that? First of all, we, we, got, we went down there. We were the first guys in the first year, 2003, like even trying it. I remember they came up to us. They said, hey, the Calcutta is five grand. <laughs> and my buddy Kit and I looked at each other. I'm like, five grand? That's like a lifetime of savings, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, we went in. We, we put the five grand in to get in the Calcutta. And sure enough, we won the whole darn thing. We won the 100 grand check plus the Calcutta, which was 5,000 so times mo- You are so modest. You were kicking the shit out of people for a decade on the Get Lit. Um, yes, you were. We did okay. You did okay, yeah. Three world championships. That's pretty okay. All right, um, so what do you got? Te- seven Telly Awards. What the hell is a Telly Award? Well, one year I saw all these guys, you know, saying, oh, I want Telly Awards. I got Telly Awards. All these shows, Telly Awards every year. And I said, you know, one, one year let's just submit our stuff to be recognized in the Telly Awards. And we sent in the shows, and we wound up getting seven Telly Awards in one year. So I was really, really like happy about that and proud of that, but we never entered it again. So like the guys that have like 100 telly awards, that means they enter every single year. And maybe I should, but I'm kind of lazy in that sense. Well, you got seven, so eh, that's pretty good. Seven's I guess. pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And then what? Two Emmy awards. Two Emmy, two Emmy nominations. Nominations. Yeah, it's not easy to get the award. Okay. The nomination was not easy to get, but we got two Emmy nominations, which was uh, kind of unbelievable. So when you're in this business trying to like sustain it and get money from clients and get partnerships, when they hear nominated for an Emmy, they're like, wow, you're actually pretty serious about this. I'm like, you don't even know. Like, we fish hard, we work hard, we market, we, we do everything you need us to do to warrant you partnering with us. And the creator of, the creator and host of Bass to Billfish. Correct. Which I was lucky enough to be on twice. That's right. And you've always, you, you, you've never disappointed, I got to tell you. We're like, going to talk about that because yeah. everybody thinks, you know, oh, yeah, you're shooting TV, you're fishing in the best places, everything's in your favor. No, 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 no. We had some, we, we worked hard to get our, to get our uh, shows done. We worked hard for the money, so hard for it, honey, <laughs> so you better treat me right. But every, I like Bass to Billfish. That was a... Uh, I thought that was, I mean, considering you never did a TV show before that, right? I, well, I did, I did hosting and I did like modeling and, but, and but TV work, but never my own show. Correct. Right. So like if it totally flopped, it was your ass that was on the line. Right. And I, there was no way I was letting that happen ever in a million years. And you did a great job. Thank you. And right now it's Uncharted Waters. Correct. It's Uncharted Waters on the Discovery Channel with Peter Miller. You know, when you, when you create a name, you got to put that Peter Miller in there because when it's all said and done, just last week, Gordon Ramsay, the chef, came out with a show called Gordon Ramsay's Uncharted. I said, you got to be that. kidding me. That, that's the cooking guy, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. I literally have the trademark for Uncharted Waters with Peter Miller and Uncharted Waters. And he's got Uncharted with Gordon Ramsay. And I'm thinking to myself, I might have to be litigious and go after this dude. You, you know, what, no, don't do that. That's a never ending. But, you know, I was watching I was watching that and I saw that. And actually what I thought at first, I was like, oh, my God, he ripped Peter. And, um, like, you know, we're all kind of used to that. If you have any type of original style, they rip you off. But um, when I saw that, I was like, hey, actually, that might be good for Peter's show. That's what I thought because I went to this event and the lady goes, well, what's the name of your show? I said, Uncharted Water. She goes, I've heard of that. And I knew for a fact that she'd never seen my show. I was like, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. We can get that. We can get into that because uh, that's my friend John Kroll's show. 
the executive producer. I'm good, and I like see all his stuff, and I was like, oh, dude, he took the name of Peter's show. But I'm good friends with John Kroll, who's the executive producer of that Uncharted thing. You're kidding me. I've done a bunch of shows for him. Yeah. See, well, we got, oh, my God. Now, Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon up in exactly. here. It was maybe at six. I don't know. Well, we got, but now we got the production dudes involved. Uh, yeah, Lamont Jones is here in the Ooh, studio. Oh, welcome, Lamont Jones. <laughs> Chip Films. He's done it all. So, Peter. Yeah. I wanted to get through that. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to get through that is because I want to talk about the real guy shit that you've actually lived. Because when we first started doing our YouTube videos, the motivating factor was that the TV guys were dorks. I mean, these guys couldn't get a dozen if they wanted to. But they had these big TV shows, and they were famous, and everybody knew who they were. And then when they needed to catch a fish, they called somebody like me, you know, so they could do their show and their production and all that. And they became famous, and then they were the, you know, they were the fishermen. And I knew, and people that, you know, actually shot with them knew that they couldn't catch their own bait or they couldn't catch the fish if they wanted to. And then... Doing the shows with you and watching you do shows and then watching you become the fishing celebrity, I'm like, finally, a real dude. Because you started fishing for yourself, then you started doing the tournament circuit with your buddy Kit, and then you kicked everybody's ass in the tournament circuit. And then you became the TV celebrity. I know you did stuff, you know, being the model and you were on TV before, but you did it the real guy way. You caught longer than people's faces for like a decade and then <laughs> became the TV fishing celebrity. And I just always thought that that's the way it should be. And it wasn't always that way. And, um, you know, when you're in this industry, you can see, you know, pretty clearly what's really happening. When you're, a v- when you're in the audience and you're watching through the, the, the monitor as a screen, you see nothing. You know nothing. So you just believe what you see. So anyway, that was always a big deal for us. We always, you know, we always talk about, you know, being real. And, um, I mean, you going out there and earning those championships was a big deal. Thank you, man. That really means a lot to me coming from a guy that's been doing his, his entire life. You and I are roughly the same age, fishing our entire lives since we were kids. And, you know, the, the dream was to one day, you know, I love editing. I love TV. I love fishing. I wanted to put it all together and then to finally you know, get the accolades in the fishing industry to be able to uh, walk the walk and talk the talk to go to a sponsor and say, hey, you know, we did all this and I know how to do this. Can you think you could maybe help me out while I'm trying to do like my lifelong dream of creating a television show? I love television shows. I love editing. I love fishing. I love, you know, the entire process of it. So for me, it was like a dream come true. So it's cool to be able to say that because there's a lot of guys out there where I look at and I said, why, why, you know, why are you dealing with this? when you got somebody that could offer you this, you know, but <laughs> everyone has their own, you know, their own reasons for what they do, but I appreciate it. So thank you very much. Well, you know, TV for the most part, I mean, unless you're watching live sports, is such a production and it's so fake, you know, and I get it, you know, it, that's the way it works. It's entertainment. I mean, after all, I mean, you're trying to entertain people and you do whatever it takes to entertain people. But it was always, it was always a pet peeve for me, for Lamont and the whole real guy network. And, um, it was kind of funny the way we met because very similar to how the hierarchy works with the TV shows and all that. Yeah. I mean, I'm walking through the Four Lauderdale Boat Show. This is like, what, 10 years ago? More? Yeah, it's got to be about 10, 11 years ago. Something some to that effect. I bet it's more than that. Yeah. Because Victoria now is 13. Okay. I don't even think I had Victoria then. Yeah, I think I remember seeing you walking by me, and I was like, and I knew you from your YouTube accolades and your YouTube prowess, where it was like, how did this guy do all? How does he? How, how did this all come about? And right. you were like a celebrity to me. Like I looked at you and I said, holy shit, there's there's Jeff Banji, a lunker dog. I, I wasn't even sure I knew your last name. I was like, lunker dog. Lunker dog. Yeah. Yeah. You, you walked up to me and um, yeah. and uh, you said, hey, I'm Peter Miller from Bass to Billfish. And at that point, the show was very new, and. Um, I'm like, Bass Villages, and I'm trying to put it together. And then you said, get lit. And when you said get lit, I was like, oh, yeah, Peter Miller. This is the dude that's been kicking everybody's ass in the selfish <laughs> circuit for, you know. And then I was like, oh, yeah, man, really good to meet you. And, and, and it's just kind of funny because you threw the Bass Villages thing out there, and I didn't yeah. get it right away. But then when you threw the real guy thing out there, you know, the being on the get lit, I mean, I was like, 
walked away. I was like, oh, that, you know, that guy was a real guy. I'm so glad he said hi to me. That's cool. I felt the same way. I was like, wow, <laughs> just a nice dude. I didn't know what to expect, but hey, here we are. Well, it's funny because um, when we did, we were just at ICAST last week, and uh, one of the dudes, Jamie Huff from Charleston, really nice guy, a guy that I use at the Captains for Clean Waters thing, he's like, Jeff, you know, um, unless you're like a superstar fisherman, you're, you're kind of intimidating. And that's because, you know, of course, they were watching the YouTube stuff. Mm -hmm. But the YouTube stuff was totally nuts. I mean, we were cutting up. We didn't, especially way back then. I mean, we didn't ever thought that, you know, it would be something that, you know, corporate sponsors would actually pay attention to or anything. It was just we were able to, you know, on the fly record whatever the hell we wanted. You guys were pioneers. The way I saw it, you guys were pioneers in the YouTube fishing world. Well, I think we, we, we were just in early. Yeah. So by being in early... You know, before they started doing all the algorithm stuff, and if you were into fishing and you typed fishing into the YouTube search, you saw longer dog. Yeah. You know, you didn't see you know all the other crazy shit that you see now yeah. with the G stringers and the people that are, you know, pulling, you know, fish out of the sewer pipes. <laughs> G stringers. Oh, dude, the G stringers has been a hot topic on the podcast. Oh, uh, they're killing me, man. Are they killing you? Well, what I'm saying is, like, I, what am I supposed? Am I, I'm, am I gonna have to wear a G string to get six thousand likes next week? I think I'm gonna have to. They're going to see some old man Peter Miller ass in a thong walking down with a freaking tuna <laughs> hanging over his shoulder, looking back, showing teeth. I mean, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Look, I'm doing my best on my social media, but there's no way you can compete with those numbers when a, when a female hits it. However, I do listen. I do give them credit for working hard, being consistent. They truly do love fishing and they happen to have great bodies. So they're kind of using that in addition. If I had something like that, like if I had a six don't pack, act abs, like you, no, don't. eight pack maybe, no, no, I, no. Might, I might bust my shirt off once in a while, but I don't have that. I got, I got a nice soft like layer over top of those abs and they're hidden, they're protected. Do not act like you don't have what the G-stringers have. And I, dude, it's proven fact because from what I understand at LunkerCon, you were one of the only Real guys at LunkerCon that actually were getting felt up by some of the girls there. True or untrue? That's true. That's, that's true. That's I was. I was. You were, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So how, many, so how many G-stringers were getting felt up by the guys? They were probably too intimidated. They were intimidated by the G-stringers. See, I have the, uh, I have the ability to, to welcome in the feeling up um, because I'm, I'm approachable, you know? So I, I'd like to call myself an approachable G-stringer. <sighs> you, were, you, were you were a little flustered. I'm a little flustered right now. No, you were flustered when the chick was feeling on you at, at, at LunkerCon. You should have seen ICAST 2019 last week. Were they feeling on it you? It was pretty serious. The the, some of the comments that I heard coming out of some people's mouths during these little moments were, like, I almost fell over. And I'm from New York. I grew up, like, loading trucks, like, in New York City, down in Long Island City. These New were women? No, the, the, at ICAST, yes. So the, 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 ICAST, the women ICASters... We're hitting up on you. I, yeah, there, there was, there was a few that made some comments that kind of almost knocked me, uh, like flat down, like on my, on the floor with the, with the words I heard coming out of their mouths. <laughs> See, that never happens to me at ICAST. Like, I, I haven't been like walking down the aisle and then, you know, have like three chicks murmur, like, man, I wish I could feel up on him or something. Sometimes you got you to make it happen, you know? Like I tell these young kids today, I say, you know, like you, you, if you think you're going to get a sponsor just by being a good fisherman, it's not going to happen. You got to put it out there. <laughs> so like walking through ICAST, I happen to be wearing a, like a clean, fresh suit that's custom made. And, you know, I'm kind of like calling it. I'm calling it in. Sometimes I call it too hard, though. Call of the wild. Well, it's, there's nothing wrong with getting wild, dude. We made a living on that with YouTube for years. Yeah. So, don't, you know, don't, don't, don't. Okay. Don't, don't let that bother you. Stay wild. But I, I got to tell you, um, I call you the Tom Brady of fishing. Hmm. One, you got, the wow. you got the championships under your belt. You're a good-looking dude. All the chicks want to talk about you and everything. You're always doing something. You're always smiling. So I'm like, yeah, Peter, you know, he's the Tom Brady of fishing. And, um, but there's a serious side to that because you are the ultimate pro. Thank you. Well, I mean, think about it. You're the ultimate pro. Dude, you, when you were doing the fishing circuit, you were serious about that, which is the one I want to talk about next. And that didn't come by accident. You got the best sponsors in the industry. That did not come by accident. You've had two successful TV shows. That did not come by accident. When I call you up on the phone and you say something, it's not like the rest of these you know, douchebags that I talk to, these mates and stuff, where you don't know if they're going to get up today. You know, you call back. You actually answer. Everybody that I've ever talked to that has ever dealt with you 
you know, feels the same exact way. So you're like the ultimate pro. You were seriously the Tom Brady of the fishing industry. Wow, dude. I, I hope someone's recording this somewhere. Dude, we're recording it oh, all over. We got wait. a podcast. We got oh. video. They're recording it. So. <laughs> Thank you, man. I can't, believe, like, I can't believe you're saying these words, but I mean, I'm supposed to actually take Tom Brady fishing in the Bahamas in Baker's Bay. That figures. Can you imagine that? That figures. Can you imagine taking the goat, the goat fishing? Wow. Yeah, hmm. I could imagine I that. I could see it. I could see it. I could imagine that. You know, I had a bar down on Fort Lauderdale Beach years mm-hmm. ago, and these you know professional athletes would come in there, and uh, we actually had um, one of the guys that was Bloodsoe's backup that used to like to come to our bar and hang out, mm-hmm. and um, we had a professional arm wrestling table there. Which I personally went undefeated for like six years. Oh boy! But I would challenge any of those NFL dudes yeah. to 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 get on the arm wrestling bench, and none of them would do it. Huh? Yeah. What? What? what, what because they just well, probably because they're actually worth something. Like they hurt their elbow oh, or something. Oh right, right, right. You know, or maybe they were you know had they to were intimidated an- by the lunker dog. Well, they know. knew you had the skills. They had that, you had that wrist, that that uh, that whole thing that made it happen. Well, we were fa- we were fairly intimidating back then. Yeah. Well, we had like these Super Bowl parties that were huge because we were we were a Dallas bar, and the Dallas the Dallas crowd got so out of hand at my bar that when the news came down to cover it, they started to walk in my bar and were like, "Nah, I think we'll do this over at Shooters." Wow. Yeah, and then they went over to Shooters and was like, "The bar across the street," because the dude was too intimidated to come in the bar. Wow. We were too real. I wish I would have known you back we then. We had a three-on-three basketball tournament too, that was won by Ray Lewis, Malcolm Pearson, and Santana Moss. And Santana and Moss. Wow. Yeah, we got old pictures of that. That's quite a crew. Were you in school with them? Uh, no, I graduated UM in 90. Um, I know, uh, Ray Lewis actually, I, I'll never forget this. He called me one day on my cell phone at my office and I was sitting there. I gotta be honest. I don't know that much about football. <laughs> okay. And when he said, he goes, Hey, uh, this is Ray Lewis. Um, it's Peter Miller there. I'm like, yeah, this is Peter. And I'm like, Ray Lewis. And I'm like, God, that name sounds familiar. And of course I'm you now with the internet. I'm like, Ray Lewis. And I'm like, I see his picture and I'm start watching his motivational speeches. And I'm like tearing up as I'm watching. <laughs> I'm like, this guy's unbelievable. I'm like, I wonder if this is really him. He's like, yeah, you know, I played here and I played there. And a friend of mine told me to give you a call. He goes, listen, I'd love to fish or, you know, just be friends, whatever. Let's get together. And, uh, at the end of the call, I realized who he was. So I became like a huge, you know, at, you know, a proponent and watcher of his uh, uh, videos where it gets you, you amped up for the day, whatever you need it. And, uh, I mean, he's an inspirational guy. You know, people can talk crap about anything that's happened in the past with anybody. We all have a past or whatever. Who knows? But uh, I'll never forget that day when Ray Lewis called me. And what, I do saw, he, what do you want? He just wanted to, he wanted to go fishing. Oh, right. He goes, yeah, I got your number from my buddy that played for, uh, for uh, the Ravens. And uh, he said, you know, you're great. And we were going to do a show together. But it turned out his brother got seasick. And then we we're going to do an inshore. Then we we're going to do handlining Goliaths. And <laughs> can you imagine Ray Lewis handlining like a 600-pound Goliath? That'd be pretty good. Yeah, the jaws would probably just come up and the rest of the fish would be on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, just rip the whole face off the fish. Oh, my God. The, the, the hardest working guy in the room. Remember what he always said? He wasn't the best player, but he was always the hardest working guy in the room. Hey, dude, he worked he, harder than everybody. He was the one that would thump your ass. Yeah. You had... You had uh, Ray Lewis, I mean, he would thump you. Sean Taylor, he would thump you. In the old days, you had Benny Blaze, he would thump yeah. you. He was, but but Ray was like the king of thump. I mm-hmm. mean, he would thump your ass, and that was like the most intense thing you could do, especially down here in South Florida. Yeah. I mean, what? You want to do a shot? Look, Peter, pump your sponsor, the tequila dude. We're going to pump it. Well, this is, uh, excuse me, while we take a commercial break for Padre's Little Tequila. This is uh, one of my sponsors. We're going to pop it. It's brand new. Got the shot glasses right next to you. Nice. You know, luckily it's evening time when we're shooting this, so it makes sense. It's been a long week. It is a Friday night. So I'm going to pour one for you. This is the... uh, What are you, covering your ass? Everybody knows we do this thing at like 10 in the morning. It's definitely (laughs) 9 9 a.m. It's like we're doing the morning show, and you're not even supposed to sip it on TV, but luckily this is so... So strange. So this is a sipper. This is this is such a high quality. This is like a hundred dollar bottle. So are we sipping this? Or are yeah. Oh, you sip time? it. No, okay. you sip it. And you let it waft around. Let it roll around. Nice and easy. And then you could just sip this. And I'll tell you what. Once you start sipping on this thing, you'll literally hold on to this bottle like a wino. 
in the streets, and you won't even put it down. You know, that's some good sipping tequila, right, John? Right, John, dear. Let me tell you. Let me tell it you doesn't sh- get any better than this. It, it doesn't. And, and at LunkerCon last year in Tampa, um, you brought a couple bottles of this, and um, my mom was there. And let's just say she was definitely partaking in the tequila drink. You liked it? Dude, straight out of the bottle, doing her sips. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess what, Mom? You're going home with a bottle. <laughs> Got one right there for you. So, th- all right, so this this has been a great sponsor for you. Yes. And then what, Salt Strong's like your core sponsor? No, I have, uh, I have Salt, Salt Life is my... I mean, that's what I meant, Salt Life. Yeah, Salt Life has been my, uh, my sponsor for like seven years. So I do the clothing with them, right. and I do the sunglasses with them. I also do the beer with them. And when you get a sponsor that's kind of uh, will work with you with three-year contracts in our industry, mm-hmm. it's kind of unheard of. And those are the guys that are actually backing me and they they actually ask for it they're like peter can we do can we do i said how about like you know two years they're like can we do three and i'm <laughs> like yeah and i'm like i'm like that's fantastic so we've done contracts of three years and three years and then i said do you guys want to be the title sponsor by any chance on my new show on charter waters and they jumped on it and they said could you would you consider wearing our our optic i said yeah i mean i don't have anybody that's ever come to me with a three-year deal per se and then because of because of that great relationship, you know, you go on great trips and you get some great content and we have a great time. And the owner of Saw, of Saw Life, uh, Jeff Stilwell, and his right-hand man, Larry Laska, I mean, we go on trips where we're, like, doing radical stuff. Do they do the sip and tequila? Oh, they do. They, they do. They, they partake. Nice. Yeah, these guys are real guys. They love to travel. They go hard. They work out hard. They eat right. I mean, they eat like... You know, it's like hedonistic. When we go on these trips, it's like, you know, bone-in ribeyes, you know, tomahawks, and we're just, we go hard, then we go scuba diving, and then we're, you know, fishing, and we're, you know, you name it, we do it. You want to hear about my, you know, I got, I, I got a sponsor now. Yeah? Well, yeah, I was like sponsorless for my lifetime. And because of the podcast and mm-hmm. because of the, the format and everything, is like I reached out to get a sponsor. And I finally got a sponsor, Tarpon River Brewery. All right. Let's make a toast to that. How about that? Wow. High-quality shot glass right there. Did you hear that clink? Sound like, sound like a bowling ball hitting a pin. And, and they're very much like Salt Life, except I get paid in drafts. Like, you know, like, like I'll, I'll, do, I'll, I'll do a podcast. I'll mm-hmm. have, like, you know, real dry throat and everything. Yeah. And they're like, here you go, Jeff. Have, a, have one of these craft beers. Ah. And they actually have a craft beer called Run That Dog Really? Craft beer. So I get those for free. I got to pay for the other stuff, but I get to run the dog ones for free. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. So I am officially un- oh uns- unsponsorless. Some people would say he's a sellout, but I know better. Okay? <laughs> like at some point, you got to accept something from somebody. On the podcast, I think we're actually going to do sponsors. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is um, you know, they're an hour, hour and a half long. It's like old AM radio. Yeah. So, you know, it's, like, not as invasive as, you know, like, we did a four-minute <laughs> I just refilled you. It's a good thing I got Lamont with me today. You're driving? You're not. He's driving. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, trust me. You'll be fine. These are smaller shot glasses than usual. <laughs> or at least you might have big hands. I can't tell. <laughs> you did play ball for uh, UConn, didn't you? Yeah. What position? Yeah. I play corner. See? I play corner. And, um, I mean, not like Ray Lewis, but in the same – Mentality is Ray Lewis. Mm-hmm. I went to UConn and I wanted to like thump people. Mm. And then when you went to UConn, they were playing like X's and O's football. Like they were big into fundamentals mm-hmm. and you, know, you had to do everything right. But like it was all about, you know, did he make the right read? Did he do the right play? Yeah. I was like, I was just waiting for the dude to come across the middle so I could thump his ass. I kind of grew up doing that. Yeah. And then I went to UConn like that and the dude, we were outcasts to play like that. It drove, really? it drove the coaches totally crazy. Oh. Uh. Because you risk maybe getting a penalty and you risk being too aggressive and you like might miss a part of a play because you were so focused on taking that guy out. Well, yeah, and it was new. yeah. Everybody wants South Florida players. Yeah, oh. back then, right? So they weren't recruiting out of South Florida like they do now. Yeah, and it was it was a new form and you know people were really weren't. I don't know. It wasn't like down here in South Florida when you made a big play. You either was a long bomb, maybe a fifty or sixty yard run you know, on the offensive side. But the real plays are made on the defense. Your strong safety, your middle linebacker, every once in a while a cornerback. And what would happen was is you'd make this unbelievable hit. Mm -hmm. 
and you would thump them, and the whole crowd could hear it. Yeah. And it added it added intensity to the game. Right. And if the other team had any game, they would try to up it and hit it harder and harder, and it would go back and forth, back and forth. And if you watch football in the in the eighties and the nineties, especially the Canes, mm-hmm. when they thump somebody, the whole momentum would go towards the team that was that got the last thump. Right. And they would go back and forth, back and forth, just kicking the shit out of each yeah. other. And that's what it was all about. I loved it. I went to UM at the, in that period, you know, 86 to 90 at UM. It was the greatest. It t- was ridiculous. It, it was the greatest era in football. Yeah. It, to now, today, it's all like offensive coordinator crap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like these teams are, are scoring, you know, 45 to 58 and that kind of stuff. That is horseshit. Yeah. That would be like counting Ballyhoo. Is um, billfish. <laughs> Everyone asks them, like, is that a sailfish? I'm like, nah, it's it's a little different. It actually is a billfish. It is, but kind you can't of. count it. Yeah, yeah, and they make a big stain let's, too. Let's talk about the billfish thing because um, what you guys were able to con- accomplish with the get lit was truly phenomenal, and um, I know you were a part of that, but that's a full team like football. Yeah, and I don't think people understand, you know how much work the team does, how much um, responsibility each member of the team has. And then your Get Lit crew, could you kind of, like, outline that for people? Because I kind of, like, I know like you had Q on there, right? Yeah, we had, well, originally it was just myself and my buddy Kit. Okay. And we went out on our 35 content. First of all, we started on a 25 Dusky with a 225 Evinrude. That was, that was the motor. And we did. We won amateur division in the tournament. I won a boat one year. I couldn't believe it. We came in. My boat broke down. We spun a hub. We got towed in. We went to the marina. We got put up on a lift. The guy took the prop off, put a new prop on. We went out. It's noon. And the second we set up, we got a double from a spot that a guy just left, this friend of ours. He was like, oh, there's no fish here. Take care. It was by the monument buoy. <laughs> and the guy takes off. And I'm like, well, Kit, you know, it's noon. The tournament's over at four. We can't run south or north. We're just putting them straight out at the point, right at the buoy. And we put the baits out and hooked up with the devil. And I remember he looked back as he was, like, blazing south. And I was like, I felt so bad. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we caught that double, which propelled us into first place in the amateur division. We wound up winning a boat. And that was, like, 1990. Okay. I was just going to ask you what yeah. year was that. All right. So 1990. I was up at UConn at that time. Mm-hmm. Just like- a pup. Just a young pup. Yeah, and I, and I did I did a lot of the tournament stuff, but it was never my own boat and yeah. my own team. I would get I was like the ringer, you know. They'd throw me in the back of the cockpit. Like, oh yeah, Maggio, he knows what he's doing. Plus, my parents had the house out in the Abaco, so I knew those waters really well. Hey, the ringer, the ringer. By the way, when they bring you in as the ringer, right? That's almost harder than being as part of the team. Like when you come in as a ringer, they expect way more than you're prepared to offer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do for, not make a mistake. For, fortunately, I was I was pretty young at the time. Yeah. So I was able to kind of play that. Good, you know, like, yeah. Like, hey, he's still a kid, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, good. But, like, I was never with the team. So when it was just you and Kit, you would actually go out there and catch your own bait? We would go catch our own bait. We caught, okay, you're not going to believe this. I don't know. No one's going to believe this shit. <laughs> we actually, I learned from a guy named Skip Kaiser, which I don't know if you've ever heard of, but he actually got thrown off his boat many years ago, and he was lost at sea for about 16 hours, floating in the Gulf Stream. He had been trolling for for dolphin, and a sailboat found him. 16 hours later, he got bumped by sharks. He was for, for left for dead, basically, and um, they found his boat like overturned in Jacksonville like a week later, and it was a white bottom with big waves, and, and so from that point on, he painted, you're gonna remember this, he painted all his boats orange. From cap to the bottom of the hull to the engine cover cowling. So if you saw a guy out there that was in an orange contender, that was Skip Kaiser. So he said, Peter, let's go kite fishing one day on your boat. So I took him kite fishing. Right. No, no ceramic rings, no weights with the corks. I, that's how I did it. And he said to me, he said, Peter, let me show you a couple of things. So he used a, a ceramic ring, and I was like, whoa. And then he sprayed it with WD-40. Oh, advanced. Uh, way advanced. <laughs> and this line is cutting through this thing, and I'm looking at it going, oh, my God, my baits are staying in the water. And then it got really windy, and he goes, put this little weight on there, keep the bait in the water. This was 1990, and I was like, wow. And then we're going to go catch some bait. So I'm, I'm going in reverse. We go to Marker 21 in Biscayne Bay, puts out the chum bag, has a legit cane pole. I'm talking like a 13-foot cane pole with four pound mono with little 4-0 or 6-0, whatever, gold hooks tied on a little kind of like a chicken rig with a little weight. And we'd put it right in the chum. And as you'd get the bite, you would just lift them out and into the boat. 
And I'll never forget when I grabbed it with my hand, my bare hand, he looked at me, he goes, Peter, don't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He, how was, old? he was learning you. How, old, how else are you supposed to do this? He goes, use, use the thing. He had a hanger, and he had made a hanger, a de-hooker, and he said, you hold him like this, and you take him like this. I said, skip. I said, why on earth did you do that? He goes, look at your fingerprints on that fish in the well. And I said, oh, my God, you literally could see my four fingers on that bait, and his was flying around perfectly. That guy taught me so much about fishing and taught Kit, and so we started going out fishing and catching all kinds of fish. The funny thing about Skip was he had to drink a case of Peels beer Peels. Every, every day. Peels. And this was 1990? It was 1990. He was going hard in the Peels. Dude, I was drinking Peels off of Yukon in 1990. That's what I'm saying. So this one day I was fishing with him. We were on, The bite was on fire, and we had a triple header on. He was up on the bow, and he was so buzzed that he kind of fell down, and he was sitting on his butt reeling like over the railing trying to catch one. And I was watching him. I said, Skip, you got to stand up. He goes, Peter, I can't. <laughs> and I remember he started scooting down with his heels. He was pulling himself with his sneakers down the gunnel to get to the back because the fish ran around the engine. So he's like scooting on his butt like a little child going around the engine. And that was, to me, to this day, was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. But anyway, he taught me a lot about fishing. But how it all, the next step was Kit and I going out by ourselves. Hold on, can we stay yeah, on yeah, the drinking stop. thing? I want to huh? just stay on the drinking thing. The peels? Well, not the, just the whole thing in general. Like in the 80s and 90s, yeah. that tournament scene. Yeah. And the Bahamas scene and pretty much every scene. I mean, fuckers were drinking. Like drinking, rum and cokes. Rum and cokes was like the standard thing to first thing in the morning. Me personally, I didn't do it, and Kit didn't do it. You guys wouldn't drink. We stayed clean, clean, and I think that was part of our success because most of the guys would be like, "Hey, it's five o'clock somewhere." Literally, it was five o'clock in the morning. Right. So it's five o'clock somewhere, and they're drinking and drinking and drinking. I'm thinking to myself, how are these guys staying like hydrated and like ready to like be focused on like a quadruple header? You know, so. That was a big thing. And, and Skip, you know, you'd pick him up in the morning. He'd be standing outside his house, and he'd literally have a case of beer under his arm, and he'd have a tackle box and a couple rods that were, like, you know, dialed in for him. And I'd pick him up, and by the end of the day, it was like you'd have to, like, carry him back to his house. And he'd go lay on his sofa, and he'd eat pollo tropical. Nice. Like, put the Spanish accent in it. And he would throw the chicken bones on the floor, and his cats would eat them. This was the scenario, but he was like a mentor. <laughs> he was a mentor. And you got to learn from somebody. So, and he was one of the best, and he's an icon. He's an icon, and a lot of people don't know that. Skip Kaiser, everybody, anybody listening to this knows that orange boat, and he was a pioneer in many ways. Let me learn you something about Orange. Yeah. Orange. Orange. Yeah. When you're down orange here. Orange is the new black? No, no, when you're in South Dade, all the way to, say, Palm Beach, mm -hmm. the ghetto way to say orange, or not ghetto, but. Yeah, the ghetto way to say orange is orange. Yeah. Orange. Yeah, orange. Okay. You know, it's kind of like a cracker thing. Yeah. Except it's more like South Florida. So anyway. Well, his boat was orange. orange. Yeah, it was definitely orange, and, and he, he, he taught me a lot. But so Okay, so, okay. Let, so let me stop you. Yeah, yeah. So, so you started off with you kit, and then Skip was teaching you stuff, like uh, how to catch bait and how to store the bait, how to make sure the bait doesn't die on you. Yep. Okay. And how you put a certain amount of baits in a, a certain amount of water, 40 gallons, 40 baits. All right. Now, from there, how did you guys grow and expand? Because, we, I mean, it was pretty intricate at the end. Okay. Well, I'm trying to try to bring the real guys through this. Okay. Well, uh, this is this is really cool. Okay. Believe it or not, Kit Kit's grandfather was a man known as James L. Knight. Knight Ritter Publishing, Miami Herald, 32 James newspapers. James L. Knight Center? James L. Knight Center. Yeah, I mean, I, dude, I saw Rick James at the James L. Knight Center uh -huh. in 1982. And you thought it was his? That was No, that was my first concert I ever went to. Really? Me and my buddy super Kenny freak. Smith. Right. <laughs> She's super so, freaky. Yeah. So, okay, so Kit's granddaddy was... Definitely not Rick James. His but he was James, James L. Knight. Knight. That's cool. So he had 32 newspapers, radio stations, lots of property, all this stuff, and he was a big sport fisherman, and Kit's mother was, too. Okay. So I met Kit in college, and... Um, and his captain was Bob Lewis, one of the Did inventors of the kite, of kite fishing as we know it. So in 87, 88, Kit's mother said, why don't you go visit Bob? He lives right down the street from UM, and why don't you talk to him about kite fishing? So we sat there, and, and Judy Lewis would come and say, would you guys want some cookies and some lemonade? It was, like, it was literally like a leave it to beaver kind of scenario. And Kit and I would sit there like we are right now, like, you know, like with our elbows on our knees, like, okay, tell me more, Bob. He'd be like, listen. What do you guys want to catch? We said sharks and sailfish. That's all we wanted. And he goes, okay, go down to Triumph, catch some blue runners, put the blue runners on the kite, and those sharks will smell at a mile away. That's a perfect bait. Use this type of hook. Do this, do that. And we listened to everything he said. And we would go there once or twice a week 
and get information from him. So we were getting from Skip Kaiser. We were getting from Bob Lewis. We were getting all these ideas, and then we would go out and do it ourselves. We would fish five days a week. Sure, sure. People were like, why do you guys always smell like fish? We'd be in class, and I'd be sitting next to, like, Oh, man, Warren Sapp. Kit, Kit was in class with Warren Sapp, and Kit, like, would always come in smelling like fish because we fished in the morning at 4 a.m., and we come to class at, like, 2, right. and we always smell like fish. I wear sweatpants and, like, a, a Miami T-shirt. And were, you, were you friendly with Warren Sapp? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you want to hear my Warren Sapp story? Sure. All right, so I'm at ICAST the first time I ever went there, and Warren was there, and a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people were uh, gathering around Warren. I guess, you know, he's into fishing and all that. Well, I went to St. Thomas Aquinas, and Mike Irvin. Went to UM. I, I went to school with Michael Irvin. Yeah, so Mike was, yeah. a, was a year older than me. Yeah. And I was pretty friendly with Mike and all that because of high school. So when I saw Warren, I told Warren, I go, Warren, I'm the Mike Irvin of snook fishing. Ah. Uh-huh. And he got all belligerent on me, like, what do you mean you do Mike Irvin to snook fish? You do Mike Irvin nothing. And then, like, walked away, oh, and I guess. Oh, my God. He got all belligerent with me. And, dude, I was <laughs> cracking up. I was like, I can't believe the freaking oh, Warren Sapp got all freaked out God, about that. That's hilarious, man. <laughs> yeah, he's intense. He's a good dude, though. I understand he's yeah, a good dude. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's, an, he's, he's a little crazy. But uh, he's a he's a good dude. I fished with him in Guatemala just last a uh, few months ago, right. and the year before a few months ago. And every time we see each other, like I saw him at the Super Bowl, and I'm walking through this party. I don't know anybody, and I see like all the big heavy hitters. You know, I'm looking at like the the Hall of Famers. Everyone there is wearing a Hall of Famer jacket, and I'm looking, and they're looking at me like, "What is this guy doing in there?" And I see Sap like coming across the thing. He's like, "Peter," like bro <laughs> hugs me, and the photographers start taking pictures, you know, of him, and I like you know saying hello and stuff. And it's like he's he's a big deal, you know. No, he's, no, he's a big he deal. He had a lot of sacks. He's a big deal. He's yeah, a fucking, he's, he's a QB killer. He was a thumper. Yeah. He was a thumper. Yeah. Let's stay on the let's stay on the get let thing. Okay, so okay. so you you you're growing. You're learning the billfish game. Yeah. You and Kit. And um how did you grow it? It was a it was a, a quick it was a quick learning curve, I think, because we kinda got into it like fast and then all of a sudden we're like wait a second and we started trying every single thing like i mean if something didn't work we tried the next thing if that didn't work we tried the next thing we went from wire leader to heavy mono to this hook to that hook to hooking the baits this way to slow trolling in and out of gear kite fishing bonitas speedos tinker mackerel you name it we tried every possible thing ronnie Chapman, another famous guy in the fishing world sure he said peter if you're desperate one day he said catch pinfish and take a scissor and trim their dorsal off and put them on the kite and you'll catch sail for sure enough we did that dude that 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 was the go-to really what do and like when i was in elementary school and all that like the bait stores you know they didn't have goggle eyes yeah. they had pinfish right and people would put them on kites yeah and catch sailfish i tell people that all the time except they didn't call them pinfish back then they called it sailor's choice oh, re- oh my god i had no idea i remember the word sailor's choice yeah that was a pinfish well the interesting thing about all that stuff is that kit and i would go out and he would now we had a 35 contender because we met joe Niebuhr. I'll, t- I'll okay let me back up two seconds so we fished these tournaments in the dusky we did really well. We go to the Bahamas every year in July. My birthday's in J- July 3rd. So Kit and I would run the dusky over there. And this one day, everyone's in the school of Mahi right off Bimini. And we're catching, you know, five pounders. And it's slick calm. And I said, Kit, you know, I've read and I've heard if you bridle a Mahi, you could possibly catch a marlin. That is real guy shit right there. So I said to myself, let me make some floss loops. Let me get a big hook. Let me take out my 50 wide, the only one I had. And this, the school of mahi was behind us. There were 10 boats. We were all packed in tight. There were like probably 500 mahi around. We're swinging them in the boat, swinging them in the boat, swinging them in the boat. So I said, I'm going to grab this one. I remember grabbing them under my arm. I put the needle through, spun it around, put the hook out. And I flopped him back over, and he swam off really fast. And the school of mahi was right behind the boat. We're still swinging them in. All of a sudden, this school of mahi just disappears. And I'm thinking, why would they disappear? And I look, and they're under the boat. I can see them literally under the boat. As we're drifting, you can see their tails fluttering just under the hull. And I'm looking down, like, over and under. And all of a sudden, I look up, and I see, like, about a 125-pound blue marlin just sitting there, like, coasting, like, twitching his head back and forth, like, ready to pounce. And he's watching, watching, watching. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's a blue marlin, like, right there. And I'm looking at it, and Kit's, like, kind of at the wheel. <laughs> and he's bumping in and out of gear because we got the mahi out. We want to stay tight on that mahi that's out of the rigger now with a rubber band, which I had just learned. Rubber band, mahi rigged. out The, the marlin makes a turn, and he takes off full speed. And he hits that, that uh, he hits that mahi, like, full bore, snaps out of the rigger. 
I wind up giving him line. I lock it up, and now we're hooked up with this with this marlin. And this thing is like greyhounding through the school of mahi, through the ten boats, slick calm, ninety five degrees. And I'm like, get out of the way, get out. Everyone's looking at us like, what are you talking about? We're in a school of five pound mahis, and we're we're in reverse now. We're backing down a 25 dusky full speed through guys in a school of mahi, and they just don't get it. They have no idea what's happening. <laughs> These losers are screwing the whole school up. Yeah, and I'm like, back out of the way, get out of the way, you don't understand. And this is my first, it wasn't my first marlin, but the first on my own boat. I'd caught marlin in Venezuela before. That's a big deal, getting your first marlin on, on your, your own, own boat. boat, on your own stuff. Yeah. So we're backing through, we're backing through. We wind up fighting this thing to submission. We get it. And back then, I said, kick, get your camera out. So, of course, he has his paper box camera, like a Kodak, like made out of paper that you bring on the boat. And I said, I'm going to try to pull this thing in the boat. we got to take a picture. Yeah. And I get on the, put my feet on the gunnels, and I yank this thing over the side into my dusky. And I remember it like bent sideways and I couldn't, I couldn't do much with it, but pose and like look up at him. He was in the tower, I had a little tower on my dusky. And he took the pictures. I'll never forget not being able to get the fish out. Like when a fish is bent in your boat it's, and it's that size, it's like a dead body. It's like, how do you like <laughs> manu- manipulate? Not like I've handled dead bodies, I've heard. So I'm trying to get this thing out of the boat. And finally, I, we get this thing out of the boat and it actually swam off remarkably. And I thought, wow, that marlin's pretty tough. Turned out the marlin was actually lassoed through his mouth around his dorsal fin and the hook head clipped the mono right on the hard part the first part of the dorsal miraculously the thing stayed on because i kept tension the whole time and i always tell people look if you don't have tension on the fish you're going to lose them i mean if that wasn't a pure example of how you could lose a marlin or how you can lose a fish keep that tension because i literally unhooked it and it was like he was gone all right keep 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 building the story okay so so you're still fishing with kit we are still on the dusky yeah and you're growing the team well, we pull into Bimini okay. with a marlin flag. We happen to have a marlin flag. Right. Everyone goes, how on earth would you guys have a marlin flag on that little shitty boat? I said, because we always prepare for the, inev- the something that's going to happen. We don't know. And I remember hoisting the flag, and Joe Niebuhr from Contender is docked right next to us. He goes, bullshit. And I said, what? He goes, you guys caught a blue marlin today? I go, yeah. He goes, how on earth would you even have a blue marlin flag on your boat? I'm like... We just believe in ourselves, and we think we can do it. And if you think you can do it, you will do it. And we hoisted that flag, and he goes, you know what? We get back to Miami. I want to meet. I want you guys to come down a contender and take a look at some boats. I'm going to hook you guys up. Neighbor was never afraid to say it was on his mind. Oh, still to this day. I saw him last week, and he was like, hey, Peter, what's up with your hair? Was that a toupee? How would you get your hair? Like, literally the entire time. But we're, we're good buddies. I go down to a contender, <laughs> and he says, hey, Peter, I want you guys to ride on my 35 contender with twin 250s. Yamahas. All right, so you're moving up. Moving up. Moving on up. Moving on up. And that's, and that's how that went. We rode in that boat. And when I heard twins, nobody had twins back then. Right. This right. is 1990. And I heard the hum of those two twins, like, matched up. And we're riding that boat. I thought, oh, my God, with the generator. He goes, I want you guys in this boat. And I said, hey, Joe, we don't have that kind of money. He goes, I will make, I will make the right price for you guys. You tell me what you can pay, and this boat is yours. Really? Generator, T-top, no tower on this particular one. But, like, I mean... Decked out under 100 grand. Nice. Back at 35 contender back in like 1991, maybe. I could go on a whole nother. Yeah. I could go on a whole nother thing about the boats and mm-hmm. neighbor and contender mm-hmm. and how this whole center console thing started, but I don't want to go there. I want to yeah. stay on okay, the. Okay, good. I want we'll to stay on task. I want to stay on the Gitlet team. Yeah, yeah. And I tell you why I want to stay on the Gitlet team because it always impressed me yeah. and it was something that I was never able to do. Like I said, as I was the ringer, I would jump on somebody else's boat. Yeah. And then by the time I was old enough and had enough cash to have my own boats, I'm making a living fishing, so I can't really do tournaments all the time. I got to freaking make a yeah. thousand bucks today yeah. so I can pay my bills. So I would sit back and I'd look at the teams that were fishing, you know, and I, you know, I just knew there was so much more to it than I could possibly put in. So you meet Niebuhr, you get the new contender. So you and Kit are sporting the new contender. Just the two of us. Okay. Sounds like the song. Take it from there. Kit's at the wheel. I'm tying the leaders, tying the hooks, putting the baits on, deploying the kites, and he's got the nose into the wind. We don't know about sea anchors at this point, so he's got the nose in the wind, and I got all the shit in the back. And I got two kites. I got six kite baits, six rods, longs, middle shorts, and I deploy everything on my own. And that's how you become what you would say is a real guy. Exactly. When you're in the cockpit and it's all you and it's six baits, that's intense. So I'm watching six kite baits, six corks, six kites, everything, and all of a sudden it's a single – 
it's a double, whatever. And one day it's a six banger. And Kit looks back and I say, Kit, I need you, buddy. <laughs> and he leaves the wheel. The boat goes sideways. Beam two. And talk about a cluster. We Total. wound up catching four out of the six. Not bad. And, I mean, you talk about, like, and it was right, It was sloppy. Uh-huh. And we wound up catching those. And that was, like, those are the moments where you remember. And it's, like, that's how you, like, kind of cut your teeth on, like, becoming a contender in a, in a literally a contender in a right. tournament of 110 boats. And were you guys winning then? Yeah. Really? That, yeah, that nice. particular tournament where we were either winning or placing. And it was just the two of us. So people were like, like, what are you guys doing out there, dude? Are you like, what's your thing? Right. Um, Kit ha- Kit brought a uh, so he has really good vision, to, like the best I've ever seen. Like really? he he may not be throw a cast net, he may not tie a perfect uni or a blood knot or but whatever. But he can see. But he can see better than pretty much anybody. Even the guy in the tower, he'll be like, "Oh, I think there's a sailfish just swam under the boat." And sure enough, there he there he is, and coming up on the middle. But I'll never forget this one time we're leaving the Miami Beach Marina, right? 110 boats, the Miami Billfish Tournament. They do the, the shotgun start, and everyone fires out. 110 boats are going full speed. And Kit is going, we're going by the boil, the Cuban hole right off, uh, right off government cut. We're in like 80 <laughs> feet of water. And Kit goes, I just saw a sailfish, dorsal pop up and swim by. I'm like, right, with all the waves, you saw that. <laughs> he goes, I'm telling you, get a bait. And I remember we were getting so knocked around by the waves right. that I could barely even get to the thing. So I'm crawling on my knees like Skip Kaiser. I get a bait. I put it through the nose, pilchered, pilchered, pilchered. And within the Bimini start was at 8 a.m. and we were hooked up at 8:07. This is boat still running, like not even knowing where they're going, and get lit, hooked up right now, 8:07, and we caught it at like 8:09, 8:10, and I still have that like award, you know, first billfish yeah, caught in the Miami yeah. billfish tournament in like 1993. That's cool. Yeah, that's so cool. That was that was another cool moment, and it just kind of like blossomed from there, you know. And then we we put together a team. You know, we, we, we did our thing, and then we'd bring a couple guys along, and, you know, this guy would say, let's fish here, let's fish there, and Kit and I are like, oh, man, I don't like all this, like, everyone having their input. We kind of got our thing. Well, that, that's the part That's the part I really yeah. wanted to get to because, um, like, the team thing is really where um, it separates everybody. Like, in order to run a successful team, it takes just as much talent as being – great at fishing or any thing that you do i never had that in me to have the full fishing team around me i had some great mates in my time mm-hmm. and we did very good in some blue marlin tournaments but i never had the team like the guy that was getting bait before me mm. or had the boat ready you know yeah. or had the lines and everything you know pre-done Never was I able to manage a team. And I think a lot of people, you know, that really are into fishing and bill fishing don't understand that that's really the key. Yeah. Is to run a team. So how did you and Kit build that team? Like, where where did the next guy come from? Well, we were in a fishing club, the Miami Beach Rod and Reel Club, and I became the angling director in 1993. Like, I was this young guy, and I'm like, okay, guys, fishing report for this week is this. Our tournament's coming up. I'm going to be selling bait or giving away bait. So I go and catch, like, a 2,000 herring on my own. I put them in pens at the Rod and Reel Club on little little uh, Palm Island or Star Island. I can't remember what it was. Okay. And uh, we'd have these tournaments. And then we'd fly up to, like, the Panhandle and do bass tournaments. So I was the fishing director at that point, which was kind of unheard of. And uh, Ray Rocher, the famous captain, you know, the Miss Brit Charters, he uh, became friendly with us, and one day he said, hey, I'd love to fish with you guys. I'd love to run your boat, you know, wow. if, we, if you ever get to get a big boat. And we went to the Everglades with him. We went frog gigging, and we kind of, like, started, like, a friendship. And then one day, you know, Kit and I went out. It was really rough. We were in the 35, and it was, like, 10-foot, you know, outgoing tide, east wind. We were, like, coming out of the water, landing on the engines. Like, you couldn't even get past it. And we were in contention for the tournament, just he and I. And he said, you know what, Peter? He said, turn this thing around, dude. This is unsafe. I can't do this. And I said, all right, man. I looked at him. I go, but Kit, we're like right there, like right at the <laughs> Gulf Stream. I mean, it's like we're I'm so close. there. And, and he said, no. And I bought the food. We got the bait. We got our friend Jeff Greasy with us, Brian Greasy, the football player's brother, a good friend of ours. Right on. And um, we turned around and went into the bay. I threw the anchor. And we just kind of sat there. And we looked at each other like, well, I guess we're taking a, taking a break. We had lunch, and we sat there, and Kit said, you know what? I, I want to buy a big boat. 
And he bought a 53 Viking about a, six months later. Well, that's a hell of a jump. And that's when Rocher came in and said, hey, I'd love to run it for you. But before that, our friend Bill Cordes came in. See, I didn't know none of this. Yeah, Bill Cordes came in. He worked now. He worked for Contender. Now he works for Invincible. He's like the head head guy at Invincible. And uh, he ran the boat for a little bit. And then uh, Rocher came in. And all of a sudden, we were like, wow. So we started learning a lot from Ray. And he brought Froggy along, John Cooper. Right. Great guy. So that was his mate. So Froggy and I kind of ran the right side. Kit and this other mate would run the left side. And we had great success. And we started. That's when we won the first World Sailfish Championship. Um, and from that point on, we just had an amazing 2003, four, five, six, seven, and then Quentin Dieterle came in in 2007. Right. And we had, you know, uh, that's that's another era where we started winning even more things at that point. So, you know, three times or three or four time um, at the world's or oh, three time world selfish champions. Three-time winners of the uh, Silver Sailfish Derby in Palm Beach, which is like the oldest sailfish tournament. Yep, yep, yep. Three or four times at the um, at the presidential sailfish tournament down at Chica, and then the swordfish tournaments, and then we started winning first place in the marlin, and then I was first place angler here and there, and every billfish species, um, swordfish, marlin, this, that, and uh, and then um, you know. With all that, we just we just really started enjoying ourselves, and then daytiming, you know, daytime sword fishing. We started doing that. And we're like, wait a second, this is something new. So, what what year was you doing that? The daytime. The daytime. I want to say 2007. I mean, we caught one in 2003, okay. but 2007 we did our first drop and caught like a 300 pounder, like literally on the way down. Right. It bit on the way down. I was like, wait a second. I think we're on the bottom. It's like, it doesn't make sense. We're in 2,000 feet, but it stopped at 1,600, <laughs> and now it's slack. We're like, hmm. Man, the daytime thing has taken off. Oh, my gosh. Dude, everybody's daytime in now. I would daytime right now, but it's almost noon. I mean, it's, you know, it's almost midnight. <laughs> you know, being a tarpon guide, it's like, this is like noontime for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like fairly nocturnal yeah. and everything. That's one of the reasons I had to come down here a little bit late, but the... um. So okay, so so Kit gets the big boat, yeah, and you guys are kicking everybody's ass, and you guys kind of just rolled there for a long time, and competed at a level that was the top of the top. And what was that? A ten-year period or so? Uh, two thousand. I mean, two thousand three to two thousand fifteen, sixteen. So it was like a thirteen-year like strong run. And prior to that, it was more like he and I doing it on our own where we we gained a lot of credibility just the two of us kind of doing our thing and then but when in the big dough was probably from 2000 you know three to 2015 or so you know uh, you know I've, I've been friends with you a long time and i've known about you a long time but this is the first time i got the full skinny mm -hmm. you know because and that's one of the best things about podcasts is is, is you have the time you know to, to, to get this stuff yeah like you can't do this on tv you know on your 20 minute episodes right and you can't do it on youtube because nobody would friggin listen and stay that long so this is the first time i've actually you know get it i was always wondered i was like how the hell you know do you go from being a kid from new york that goes to the u then becomes one of the most recognized and best bill fishermen you know in the most competitive place in the world to be a bill fisherman and I never got the full story. And I met Kit, you know what I mean? And I knew you. I'd known Ray for a long time. I knew Q. I knew every, you know, yeah. buddy that you kind of, like, were dealt with. You introduced me to Froggy, actually. But I, yeah. knew, I knew about Froggy through the grapevine. Never really met him or anything. But it was one thing that I always wanted that didn't happen in fishing for me was to get a sailfish team like that and to be able to compete like that by the time i got my own boat and everything um it was kind of out of my league like i I bought an old 31 bertram mm -hmm. and i was like oh maybe i'll go compete compete in those sailfish mm -hmm. tournaments and i try to you know I, I, would, I would try to think about it or whatever i couldn't keep four guys to go fishing with me every day that's the hardest part i couldn't do that and by that time, his fuckers were running around in these Vikings and these, you know, Spencers and stuff that were going 30 miles an hour, and you could run up and down the coast. And, and 30 sounds fast, and now it's like 70. I don't give a shit what anybody tells you. 30's still fast. It's, I like it at 35. But, you know, but, but okay, the bite's up in Palm Beach, so I, mean, I can't take a 1967 31-foot Bertram and run up to Palm Beach, you know, from Hollywood, you know, to get the bite. And 
I don't know. I just kind of gave up on it and um, decided I was wanted to catch my own blue marlin on my own boat, mm-hmm. and my goals changed. And it was one of the few things in fishing that I never was able to do, but was so intrigued. And when you and I became friends, and I was like, wow, Peter Miller actually knows who I am. And there's no way you could have known what I was thinking back then. Mm-hmm. But you meeting me through or knowing me through YouTube, and one of the biggest things that used to get me high about being on YouTube was that guys like you knew about me. Like, hey, the guy that won the Billfish Championships knows about me. And Ray knew about me. And Q, well, maybe Q didn't. He was kind of out of the loop. But a, a, lot of the du- a lot of the dudes, you know, that were really into, you know, fishing knew yeah. about me. And at the beginning stages of YouTube, people would come up to me and they'd be like, oh, do you know Peter Miller? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know Peter Miller. Oh, do you know, you know, this guy? Or do you know that guy? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this. And it made me feel good. And it made mm-hmm. my heart, you know, like, these are my peers. These are my dogs, you know. And then something changed with YouTube people started walking up to me and were like, dude, do you know Monster Mike? And I was like, yeah, I know Monster Mike. Oh, do you know Black Tip H? Yeah, I know Black Tip H. These weren't the dudes that I was like, wanted to be my peers. These weren't the dudes that I wanted people to compare me to. And all of a sudden they started comparing me to. And the final straw was the G-stringers. They were asking if I knew these G-stringers. And yeah, I knew them. And the reason I knew just them to be is clear, the G-stringers are the uh, are the girls wearing bathing suits, like posing with fish and catching fish, right? Just so, just so you know, I want to make sure, like, I didn't miss something in the translation. Is what that what you, we're talking about? You missed something. G-stringers. They yeah. have G-strings on. Okay. I'm not talking about women fishermen. I'm talking about these hoes that are that are half naked. <laughs> they get all these views on social media. Oh, so many. Right. And that's what I mean. Is as fuckers were like, oh, do you know these people? And like, yeah, I know them. And the reason I knew them is because Lamont was so far ahead of everybody in social media yeah. that they wanted to be at our events and stuff. So, you know, they came and I met them and I was like, okay, yeah, they're cool or whatever. But I never wanted to be like put on the stage with, and, and don't get me wrong, we tried to help all these people. Yeah. You know, if, if they came to the events and they were into our videos and stuff, then we'd put them, like, you know, we had Monster Mike on our videos. Mm-hmm. We had a relationship with Dar Sizzle. I mean, anybody. Yeah. If you spoke out, you know, we were there to help. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But it was, it, it totally, f- like, ruined it for me. That people were, like, comparing me to them. When my whole life, I wanted to be compared to the guys like you and Kit. They were actually doing stuff. And that's our whole thing. Real guys doing real things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, we got to wrap this thing up because we're almost into it, but an hour. But let's, yeah. let, let's finish by doing... Because I think what um, when I knew you and I were on the same wavelength was the second episode that we did for Bass to Billfish. And we're fishing on the big boat. And we had like five different guests. And there was fish all over the place, but they wouldn't eat real well. Oh, that's right on the 36. Right. Yeah. And you and I must have had like eight lines out. With like all different baits and the tarpon are all around us and we're moving the boat. I mean, we're fishing every little corner. Yeah. You wing the boat around this way. I got two baits going off the other end and we're doing whatever we can to catch these yeah. fish. And it was like, to me, it felt like you and I were in like an orchestra together, mm-hmm. you know, and we did this for hours because the fish wouldn't eat. And, and staying calm and staying calm and collected. I said, Jeff, don't worry. We're going to get them. Th- like, like true gentlemen. Yes. Like pros. Yeah. And then, and then, and then we were able to squeak out a couple fish, and we were able to make the episode work. And then, that was the second show we did together. And then we went home, and it was, you know, like you know, big exhale, like, oh, we got that done. Yeah. And then I'm thinking to myself, is like, that Peter Miller dude's a hardworking son of a bitch. <laughs> He's a real guy. He can actually throw a cast net, get his own bait, and when the shit hit the fan and the fish weren't eating, he was pro enough to stick with it. And to make it happen. And I don't know how many people get that. And I don't really give a shit. But I got it. Yeah. Same to you, man. Same to you. You know? Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. We got a lot of people in the Real Guy Network. And we got a lot of real guys in the Real Guy Network. But I'm not so sure that people understand, you know, the different ways to be a real guy. And when you got to get a TV show done. And you got your own dollars. Your own money. Not somebody else's money on the table. Mm-hmm. 
and you got to make it happen, and then you do, and you're still doing it today. For all you some bitches that didn't know Peter Mutter was a real guy, he is. And that's why he's on the Real Guy Network. That's why he's doing the Real Guy Podcast. And we just don't play, Peter. We don't put people on here. We don't talk about people that aren't real guys. So thanks so much for doing the recording with us. Thanks so much for being part of our Real Guy Network and participating in LunkerCon for all these years. And uh, it's just been a pleasure. Thanks so much. And thanks for tuning into the Real Guy Podcast. Thank you, man. <laughs> Told you we could bang that out. We banged it. <laughs>